And good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is a boy Casanova from Orlando, Florida, on this awesome and international podcast, Good Wine and Great Laughs, season six, episode number eight. And today's topic is the 1920 Okoye and the 1923 Rosewood, Florida Black Massacres. You will know shortly what type of wine I am drinking. So, ladies and gents, let's get this party started. Let's go. All right, ladies and gents, once again, this is a boy Casanova from Orlando, Florida, on the awesome international podcast, Good Wine and Great Laughs, season six, episode number eight. And once again, the topic is the 1920 Okoye and the 1923 Rosewood, Florida Black Massacres. Today, Saturday, February 25th, 2023, and the weather here in Orlando will be par with partly cloudy skies, highs of 89, lowest of 6 degrees. So, some parts of the country getting hammered with snow. There's not a snowstorm coming through, but here in Florida, it's nice and toasty. But ladies and gents, before I jump right on the topic, I will let you know about the wine of the day here at Casa Casanova. And ladies and gents, today you are heading to Washington State. I have the Chardonnay from Saint Chateau Michel or Chateau Saint Michel. I believe Chateau. I believe the name is Chateau Saint Michel. Uh, it's like SD, I don't know, it's a Saint Chateau Michel, the way they're designed on the label. But anyway, it's a Chardonnay from Columbia Valley, vintage of 2020, Washington State founding winery. And according to the label, in the on the back on the back of the bottle it says since 1967 the dedicated winemakers of Chateau Saint there we go Chateau Saint Michel have transformed the finest grape into some of the most spectacular wines in the world sourced from famous sun-soaked vineyards the Chardonnay features Juicy citrus and apple aromas with subtle oak accents. A showstopper with chicken or seafood. Alcohol percent of this wine is 14%, ladies and gents. And has some gluten free, some other information here in the back. I can care less about that. <laughs> I am not about that vegan life. I'm about to have some great, great wine. That's all I care about. All I care about. So let me see what this wine is all about, ladies and gents. 
This is my first time drinking this Chardonnay from Columbia Valley, Washington State. Beautiful color. I love it, love it, love it. The color of this wine. Beautiful nose. Love the way it smells. Yes, ladies and gents, as you all, 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 everybody knows, all you guys know, that I'm not a fan of wine, wine. That's not my, fa my favorite cup of tea, let me put it this way. But I would drink a good white wine. And this Chardonnay is pretty good, ladies and gents. Pretty, pretty good. The Chateau Saint-Michel did a great job with this wine. For you that love Chardonnay, I would definitely would recommend this. Chateau Saint-Michel. Beautiful Chardonnay. It's definitely paired beautifully with some chicken, some seafood. Definitely for sure. And this wine got a spot on my empty bottle collections. I definitely keep it. I'll give a 10 for this wine. Very nice and crispy, ladies and gents. Very tasty wine. Definitely, thumbs up, two thumbs up for this white wine. All right, listen, let's jump right on the topic. You may ask Casanova why you decided to talk about something that happened in 1920 and 1923. First of all, ladies and gents, I decided to talk because I could not close the Black History Month without talk about some of the atrocities. These are just two examples that happened here in Florida. And for those that are always talking about, oh, black people, are they are lazy, they never amount for anything, they never throw to put the community together, that's why they have the high level crime, and this, this, and that. Every time, ladies and gents, the black community try to get their act together and form a community and prosper and do something, here comes the racist, jealous people that try to raise everything. All right? It's not one time. It's not twice. Google, if you don't believe me, after listening to this podcast. And unfortunately, most of the cities that it happened, who is in charge of the education, are uh, some white people and just let me make this clear i'm not calling all white people racist because that's not that's not that's not possible all right but i'm bringing to attention because most of people that are in charge in many cities are white people that they want to talk about we have this governor right here they say that they want to raise black history so that's not being taught in school so like nothing happened and you have to acknowledge that trust that has been done against black people, ladies and gents, in order for us to move forward. But I'm going to continue this conversation at the end when I give you guys my two cents about what I think about that. So for those that never heard of Florida, that never heard about it, or people that are out of Florida that never heard about it, Casanova is going to help you out and is going to show you some. So first video that I'm going to play is going to spread by 
was made by the University of Central Florida. It's a 10 minute, about 10 to 11 minutes video. Go to listen to the audio. Ladies and gents, so let me pause the background right here. So you can jump right on it. And here we go. From the University of Central Florida YouTube channel, the Okoye Massacre, The Truth Laid Bare. Growing up, only thing I knew about Okoye was that we didn't go there. Nobody said why. And I just assumed growing up it was just a town for white people. A lot of the specifics and the events of the Okoye Massacre, we don't know. It was a horrible, horrible event. African Americans were slaughtered, were driven out of Okoe for decades. Okoe was a rural community that would have been pretty familiar to people living in Central Florida at the time, in the late 19th and early 20th century. And it was, you know, a community lined with orange groves and agricultural productions. And it was near Orlando, which was a transportation hub. The railroad came through Orlando. Farmers in Ocoee could go to Orlando and send their goods to market. And so it had a very um, desirable place, just geography, because it was so close to a railroad hub. Citrus was the king. And July Perry, being that he was a labor broker for both black and white, he ruled. Some people said that he was not, you know, they said that he was meaner than a junkyard dog. So he probably had to be tough, being that things were the way they were. And to accomplish what he was accomplishing there on the shores of Lake Apopka, Everything was hustling and bustling here, and it was all about success, black or white, success. They're living in an era of Jim Crow, of segregation, of enforced segregation. They're living in an era when these men in Okoe, and by 1920, the women too, were full citizens of the United States, had the right to vote. But since the last decade of the 19th century, there have been active efforts to suppress the vote by violence and intimidation. It's suppressed by law. So there was a great deal of anxiety on the part of white supremacists in Florida to curb the number of African-Americans who were going to vote in the 1920 election. So much so that in Orlando, in Lake City, and Jacksonville, days before the November election in 1920, the Ku Klux Klan marched through the downtown in those places, specifically to intimidate African Americans from going out and casting a vote in that 1920 election. Judge John Cheney, who was going to run for the Senate seat, courted the black vote. He helped. July Perry and Mose Norman become registered voters. They paid their poll tax because back then you had to pay your poll tax. July Perry and, and Mose Norman, who were better economically situated in Okoe, push people to register to vote. And if they don't have the money for the poll tax, 
they will give them the money for the poll tax to register and vote. Mose Norman, you know, went to the polls in Okoy to vote. The scuffle starts and he leaves. And I guess he go by and tell July Perry, you know, I'm out of here because by now he's been attacked. And so the Ku Klux Klan, it was said, went to the home of July Perry. From there, all hell broke loose. He tells his family to flee. Who kills who? Nobody knows. Two whites end up dead in July Perry's backyard. You know, news of this gets out and a white mob comes to July Perry's house armed. And of course, this leads to the Okoe massacre. You have 30 to 60 people that we think died there. It's painful. It's horribly painful to think about being in a situation where people are shooting at you and have set your house on fire and you're trying to escape in the dark of the night. Alan Franks, uncle was July Perry. Alan Franks was a refugee or survivor of the Okoy massacre. He knew the perimeters of the Lake Apopka. And Alan, who had to carry his sibling who had a physical illness through the swamps, you know, I just can't even imagine the pain, the fear of trying to get to a safe place. And July Perry, taken from Okoy. Some say he was near death before he left Okoy, that he had been wounded and allegedly tied behind a vehicle and drug into Orlando. He was locked in the jail, wounded, near death. The vigilante group came to the jail and took him away and they hung him in the vicinity of where Judge Cheney would see his body. And as a reminder to Judge Cheney, this is what happens when you register people to vote. It was reported very broadly, in fact. Um, the Florida newspapers were reporting it the next day, and then national newspapers took it up. In that wide reporting, it is reported from a white perspective and a white perspective that, that sees the horror in the two white men who died. There are reports, I mean, you know, that the town was burned, but the implication often is that that's the fault of, of blacks, that the town burns down. The African-American accounts of Okoe lived with the people who experienced them initially. The ones who fled, they went to places like Apopka, went to places north or other parts of the south, and they shared those stories with their descendants who pass those stories on and on. And this is not unusual with racial terror in these ways. What African-Americans did in 1920 and soon after was just seed the story that could be germinated later, which future historians were able to do. McCoy suffered greatly after 1920. Who's going to work over there? Not black people from those who knew. So for a long time, the economy suffered, all because of people wanting to vote. I grew up in Apopka during the 50s. We, you know, we would not go through what was called the, you know, downtown Okoy, but no one ever said that 
people who actually died there. It's just that it was a place that black people did not go. I became a member of Democracy Forum in 1997. I was invited to join a group by a friend of mine. Little did I know it was about what had happened in Okoye. Once I learned what they were doing, I was all in then. I'm going, oh wow, this is interesting. The constituency of Democracy Forum was quite diverse. You had a melting pot of people who were all on the same cause to inform people and come up with a way to reconcile. And we all had an assignment, pretty much, to bring back information. We spent hours and weeks and months researching. Key pieces of the evidence of our research was the death certificate of July Perry, the census list of 1910-1920 showing close to 300 black people living in Okoye. Then there was a letter from a woman by the name of Annie Hameter. This letter had been smuggled out of the community and it was describing uh, what type of citrus she was shipping to this friend in Ohio. She drops down in the second paragraph and she says, one of the most wickedest things has happened. Blacks are being forced to leave, you know, Okoye. It has been a journey, it's been an experience. One that has created an ongoing dialogue among many people now. And once we located descendants and they could trust us and they didn't seem to have that fear anymore, they would start sharing the stories of their descendants about what happened, the land they owned and where it was located. And, you know, they, they, it was like a freedom. We donated our research materials, which consist of thousands of documents. We donated that to the Orange County Regional History Center. And they're going to do an exposition in honor of the 100 years. And that is just so, I'm so happy. A marker was placed in downtown Orlando uh, near the Orange County Regional History Center, which honors those who died as a result of lynchings. Now there's a petition to name a highway in the honor of July Perry, which is so honorable to know that it's being embraced now and that someone is telling the story. And for, you know, the memorial that is Okoye itself, been a long time coming. You know, there were years you couldn't say the Okoye massacre in Central Florida at all. And now we have markers, we have a tombstone for July Perry, we have a curriculum going into our classrooms that will teach this throughout Florida. For African Americans, this is a really important milestone to, to sort of get that out there because their history, and the history of Florida was whitewashed for, for so many decades. Adding to the Florida curriculum, discussions on Okoe and explorations of the history of Okoe, I think is a very important step for Florida. It means essentially that the next generations will know what Okoe was, will remember Okoe, will at some level deal with Okoe. I have met so many people 
in these last 22 years that, you know, Francine, hmm, <laughs> what, how did you get into the middle of this? It was a calling. It was a calling. And you don't question your calling. Alright, ladies and gents, on that note, your boy Casanova is going to take a, a quick break. When I come back, I have a block of truth. I'm going to talk about Ho- Rosewood, Florida, the 1923 Rosewood Massacre over here in Florida. Your boy Casanova is going to take a quick break and come back shortly. Ladies and once again, this is a boy Casanova. The second and final block of today's episode, ladies and gents. And then I will give you my two cents about the whole situation. So let's jump right on the second video. This is from Democracy Now! The topic of the video is uh, Rosewood Massacre families mark 100 years since white mob raised black town and killed black residents. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez as we turn to look at the Rosewood Massacre. A hundred years ago this weekend, a white mob attacked and burned down the black town of Rosewood in central Florida. The racist mob murdered at least six black residents, forced the rest of the town to flee. Many eyewitnesses said the true death toll was far higher. The violence began after a white woman falsely accused a black man of assault nearby. By the time the massacre ended, every building in Rosewood except one had burned down. No law enforcement agency investigated the massacre. No one was ever charged with crimes. In 1994, the Florida legislature approved $2 million in compensation for nine survivors and dozens of descendants of the attack. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, they were the only government reparations ever paid to victims of this anti-black racial violence in the U.S. In a moment, we'll be joined by a professor whose grandfather survived the Rosewood massacre, But first, this is an excerpt from the trailer to the late director John Singleton's acclaimed 1997 film Rosewood, which helped bring greater attention to the massacre. In 1923, the black town of Rosewood was a land of opportunity. You've been drifting long, Mr. Man. Seemed like forever. Colored folks own all the land around here, all the businesses, too. Man can make a new start around here, make something of himself. 
Until the day, one woman's false accusation. Tell me the truth. Was it truly a color down this to you? Unleashed a fury against their town. If you find him, well, you know what to do. There'd be some trouble around here, sir. To show you your help. There ain't no way in the world one man got enough bullets for all them crackers. And a search for the guilty became a hunt for the innocent. These are real folks dying. Women and children ain't done nothing wrong to no soul. The color folk just can't be running all the time. There comes a time when you got to stand up and defend your rights. trailer to the late great director John Singleton's 1997 film Rosewood. We go now to Gainesville, Florida, about 45 miles from Rosewood, where we're joined by Jonathan Barry Blocker. He's visiting professor at University of Florida Law School, former staff attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center. His grandfather, the late Reverend Ernest Blocker, survived the 1923 Rosewood Massacre. It's great to have you with us, Professor Barry Blocker. Welcome to Democracy Now! Tell us about how you learned about the massacre and what happened with your grandfather. Sure. Um, I learned about the massacre when I was 13, but in a very distant, disconnected way. Uh, my dad sat me down and said, hey, there's a movie coming out and people may ask some questions of you about it. Uh, your grandfather was involved, uh, but he's not going to answer questions, so don't ask him. And that was pretty much it, the end of the conversation. And so... Uh, I didn't initiate any communications. My dad has indicated uh, that at some point he forced my grandfather to try to talk to us about it, but I'm told that lasted all of five minutes and was very sparse on details, so didn't register. Um, but it wasn't until college when I actually watched the movie, uh, Rosewood, because my folks didn't have me and my siblings watch it while we were growing up, uh, that I came to appreciate exactly what happened, or at least the gist of what happened. Um, and so I don't know my grandfather's role, I don't know where he was, uh, during all the violence and the mayhem, I just know that he and his family left after it um, and never talked about it again, at least not amongst each And what was your us. reaction, uh, Jonathan Barry Blocker, when you saw this film in college, not having known the story your entire growing up? Oh, I was irate. I was, I was, I was very upset uh, to see it depicted, the terror, the fleeing, the confusion, uh, the displacement. Uh, I did not leave campus for the entire weekend. And from what you know, uh, how were the facts uh, documented and uncovered that led to uh, Florida lawmakers approving uh, a first-time compensation or, or reparations to survivors here? As I understand things, uh, a journalist, Gary Moore, broke the story in the 80s, uh, and then uh, one of the descendants, Arnett Doctor, pushed and advocated for compensation and reparations uh, and mobilized a lot of folks uh, to support him in that effort and uh, that's what led to the study and then eventually to the compensation package or is what we might call it reparations uh, for some of the descendants and survivors. Let me turn to a clip. This is historian Robin D.G. Kelly of UCLA. Um, in, nine, in 2020, he appeared on Democracy Now! to talk about the history of race massacres in the United States. 
you look at the history of race riots in, in America, most so-called race riots were basically pogroms, going back to Cincinnati in 1839, 1841, going back to a uh, whole range of, of so-called race riots in Philadelphia. You mentioned Tulsa. Uh, in the opening of the show, Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was a kind of looting, not a kind of looting, but you're talking about uh, destroying 35 square, uh, 35 blocks of, of uh, black-owned property and businesses um, worth millions of dollars. Um, people going into people's, white people going into homes with the support of the police, taking black people's stuff, destroying and taking stuff. Um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, East St. Louis in 1917. We could talk about Rosewood in 1923. Uh, you know, there's so many examples. Springfield, Illinois, 1908. Um, and some of that looting is also about taking political power. Professor Barry Blocker, if you can comment on what Robin D.G. Kelly had to say, and also as someone who's worked on poverty um, and race relations and violation of human and voting rights in this country at Southern Poverty Law Center, um, what about this discussion of reparations? I mean, two million that the legislature approved, of course, is a pittance when you're talking about the loss of human life and the rest of the effect, the terror effect uh, on the black population of Florida. All right, we well, got two questions there, so I'll try to uh, remember each. Remind me if I forget uh, any part of one. But in regards to your first question, what the professor was saying, I want to be upfront. Um, mass violence, racial violence is not my research area, but I do incorporate it into my lessons. Uh, and it was widespread, and as was heard on the clip, um, it could be deployed for to gain political power and retribution for perceived slights to white womanhood uh, or for too much economic prosperity or economic competition. And so it happened to blacks, it happened to indigenous communities, um, happened to Filipino and other Asian American communities on the West Coast, as well as Hispanic communities uh, during the 18th and 20th century, or 19th and 20th centuries. Um, so it's, it's prevalent in the histories of Amer the annals of American history. And I would encourage everyone to read up and, and discover more of what was going on in not just their, their bloodlines, but even in their communities, their home states, or their homelands. Uh, if you've traveled across the nation or moved. Uh, with regards to your second question, uh, having worked in poverty work and civil rights work with SPLC and Legal Services Alabama uh, and the, the call for reparations, uh, I think the government has failed to protect sometimes communities here and its citizens uh, or has aided in harms to certain communities and citizens. And so there, there does need to be talk about how to repair those harms, especially if they're long-standing and long-lasting. Um, our legal system, someone brought up in question to me once whether or not reparations was proper or valid. And I had to remind them that our legal system in America is built on the concept that you should receive some type of money uh, or uh, repair, financial repair, for harm suffered to your property, to your person, to your marriage, to your emotions, to uh, your family, to your prospects. The law does a great deal, the tort law here, to repair harm. So I think reparations can be part of that consideration. And Professor, uh, to what extent has, uh, to your knowledge, has uh, the black community of Rosewood uh, rebounded? And what's the status of the community now? Because obviously a lot of people were driven out back in 1923. Uh, what's your sense of uh, the situation today? 
Well, if you talk to some of the scholars uh, who have made Rosewood their, their primary focus, you'll learn that there was a mass exodus of black residents both in Rosewood and some of the surrounding towns like Cedar Key. Uh, Cedar Key, which is nine miles away, had a population of roughly 37% blacks uh, prior to the violence, and afterwards they all but disappeared. So um, when you go there now, I'd, I, the times I've visited, I have not encountered too many black locals, either in Cedar Key uh, and I've only been to Rosewood twice. Uh, it's pretty rural now. So uh, there, there isn't a large or robust black presence and most people have moved on and did move on to other communities where they felt a bit safer and stable. Jonathan Barry Blacker, we thank you so much for being with us, visiting professor at University of Florida Law School. His grandfather, the late Reverend Ernest Blocker, is a survivor of the 1923 Rosewood Massacre, 100 years ago this month. Next up, we speak with the former head of the NAACP, Ben Jealous. He has a memoir out, Never Forget Our People Were Always Free, a parable of American healing. Stay with us. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's the second video. And two things I want to tell you. The first video is, uh, that was that you listened to, you listened to the audio. That was from the University of Central Florida. That was two years ago, this video. And then the video from the second one that you heard from the marketing now, that was last month. So last month was one year, one year anniversary of the Rosewood Massacre, ladies and gents. So let me continue what I started in the beginning of this podcast. And I'm going to make one thing very, very clear so there's no misunderstanding. All right? And I say that again. Are all white people racist? No, they are not. Are all racist white? I would say 95%. Because also you have some black people that are racist. have all the no, Hispanic people that, that are racist. But the majority is white people. And then according to the FBI and the CIA, the number one threat to America right now is white supremacist racist people. So these are facts, ladies and gents. And on the last video, I make a comment on my YouTube channel that my point of view is this. I don't put the blame on today's generation that did not know about the history because a lot of things has been hidden from them as well. From school, and they do, let's, let's not talk about it, let's not teach that in school. It's over, help the black people, keep moving, let's move on. You know, my thing is this, like on the first video, you saw two people talking about Okoye. There are two black, two white professors. And then when the lady was talking about, you know, how awful and terrible was the killing of the family, your house being burned, and that's what I expect that I call allies. You know what I mean? Once you find out what your ancestor has done, now you have two choices. You can ignore and oh okay that's happened my grandfather did that has not to do with me and moving forward and just we go and live your own life like nothing happened or you can do what's the right thing to do and recognize the suffer of all black communities that went through this the madness 
this craziness and be a part of it to make it better. In your community, in your workplace, or in your family, teach your kids. Now that you'll be enlightened by knowledge of education has been revealed to you the facts. You have the obligation to teach your children and your grandchildren what has been done to not happen again. Now we have two choices. Like I say, you can do the right thing or just completely ignore. But one thing that I always say, what we do on this earth, it goes through eternity, ladies and gents. Don't ever, ever forget that. So for those people now, white Christians, are people go to church, yeah, yeah, oh no, homeboy. If you know you have the facts and not doing the right thing, you're gonna be held accountable for that too. Alright, so that like making this clear because of oh, Casanova's race, I'm not racist and I recognize that what's real, what's real, and I always give props and recognition to who's doing the right thing, regardless of race. And I truly believe that in life, life is, is a path to build relationships. The people around you, your neighbor, whoever you based with, now it could be a, a, a janitor, it could be somebody, you know, on the top kick account, somebody at Walmart, somebody that work on a quote unquote McDonald's, you know what I'm saying? You treat people to respect. And once you found out what has happened to other generations, you know, that how you have not to do, but your ancestors has a full account of what happened. Like I say, you have obligation to share the correct information and understand or have an idea what black people went through. And it's still going through. Like I say, in 1920, they have the right to vote. But here comes the Ku Klux Klan racist people to make sure they raise and kill people and destroy property to make sure the black people can vote. And to this day, we're still fighting for the full right of vote to all citizens. You know what I mean? So, let me see here. And Rosewood, of course, like I say, and another thing too, Rosewood is the only one that received only $2 million. I understand the good effort of have a reparation but only two million dollars. Now think about the how the property, all the property has been destroyed, that has been taken, how much that property value and how much that community, according to some reports, is a regular empty rural area in Florida that was no development. Think about how great, how great Rosewood could be, just like Tulsa, Oklahoma, that's AKA now, as known as the Black Wall Street, 35 blocks of buildings, hospital, mood theater, and hotels, and all that has been destroyed by an angry mob. And here for the Rosewood because I lie. Because the true story is the woman was cheating her husband, that was a white guy. No, all white. The wife was the wife was white. The husband wife and the guy that was cheating was white. But the, the guy that she was cheating beat the crap of her, and therefore her should not be caught. They have a lie and said there was a black man. 
Moving forward, the whole town of Rosewood was destroyed because they're half alive. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, it gets to the point, listen, that, that now we may have an idea of how tired black people are. Because every time that we try to get out, excuse my language, shit together, the community, everything else, you know, people got jealous, white people racist, white people got jealous, and then can't destroy what they accomplished. Oh no, I'm saying well, every time they'll try to go someplace to try to do be great, oh, it's always something. It's always something. And there's and, and there's no race, I'm talking like special in America, tell right now. The only before before blacks, only Native Americans. Because got decimated, got killed by white racist people. After that is black people. And to this day, like I say, when the the, the Japanese people they that put in concentration camp here in the United States. If you don't know that, Google it. And then they got reparations. Okay, all groups got reparations. But when it comes to the black community, oh no, leave this alone. Forget about the slavery. Forget about the value and all the contribution that you've done. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, we're just tired of the nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I hope, I hope people that are listening to this can watch this video and be part of change the things in America, not just for black people, but for all, because it's important. This atrocity has happened in the United States, and it is important for you to fight that this has been, has to be teach, been teaching, been taught in school, so all the kids can know, and if you don't know, you better ask somebody. You know what I'm saying, ladies and gents? It's just simply ridiculous, you know, and we're just tired of the nonsense. And this, and this is just true. Uh, the two uh, massacres I told about. You feel free, Google Black Massacres in the United States, you're going to feel, find out a lot. It was not just one, two, three communities. Hundreds of communities have been decimated, got killed. We went to North Carolina. That is true today. The documents of the papers for the newspapers are locked in the library and they do not allow the people to access that. So, it's simply tired you just like ah can't take it anymore let me drink some more wine <laughs> you know what i'm saying to continue this so ladies and gents on that note ladies and gents i would like to thank all of you people that listen to this awesome international podcast please keep it sharing with all your friends and family good wine and great last podcast is come all the way from the bottom and moving straight to the top, aiming to be the number one spot. Please feel free to visit my YouTube channel, Good One Great Labs. Leave your comments, please subscribe, and click on the like button of every video they watch up there because your click on subscription as well on the like button is going to help my YouTube channel to grow even faster. I appreciate your support, ladies and gents. So, once again, this is our boy Casanova. Please be safe. Be kind and be blessed, and I'll see you next week. Holla! Coming from the bottom, moving straight to the top. Coming with the pull up for the number one spot. Pushing my back like a push I on the block. Holding my girl, suck up, up, get lost. Coming from the bottom, moving straight to the top. Coming with the pull up for the number one spot. Pushing my back like a push I on the block.
Holding my girl, suck up as get loose. Coming from the 